Are you good at facing your fears? Maybe you're scared of spiders or heights or something that you can ignore if it's not immediately in front of you. But what if your fear was something that was always with you? That's exactly the kind of fear the man in today's episode had. And just what was that fear? Let's find out. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast, where we share the gospel of Jesus Christ through the art form of audio drama. Yes, and that includes sound effects. I'm Timothy Gregory, bringing you the story of a man who had an undiagnosable illness. He feared the unknowns that came along with this, and instead of coming to terms to this, he turned to alcohol, which only amplified those fears tenfold. But we'll see just who could put those fears to rest on today's Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast. Also, you'll want to stick around because later we're going to give the rest of you an opportunity to enter yet another sweepstakes drawing for a prize. No, it's not a cash prize, but it is a prize, and I think it's a prize that you are really going to like if we draw your name. But first, let's get to it, folks. The classic true story of Richard Haddad. Don't ask me where I've been all afternoon. What are you, a cop? I thought I was your wife, but I guess you don't think so. Why don't you shut up, shut up, shut up? Because I've had enough of this. Your last class ended at noon. I've been working all day, and now you come in here too drunk to eat dinner? Stop feeling sorry for yourself. You know what I think about your dinner? Dick, you stop it. Put that plate down. This is for your lousy dinner. Stop it! Don't tell me to stop it. <laughs> shut up. Shut up, or I'll hit you again. What? What's that? Just what you could expect. The neighbors downstairs telling you to be quiet. Oh, really? I'll settle that guy. For good. Dick, put that knife down. I mean it! No! I'm going downstairs to teach that guy a lesson. No! are so loud. You know, it's disturbing the... Whoa, 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 whoa. Put the knife down. You want to tell me now what I'm disturbing? Are you nuts? Put that thing down. Why? Is it too disturbing hey, for you? Hey, someone call the cops. This guy's got a butcher knife. Dry alcoholics sometimes question the credentials of others who claim to be members of the breed. The man whose story we have to tell has the credentials as his peak or depth, depending on how you look at it. He reached an intake of close to a gallon of whiskey a day. His earning capability was destroyed, and so was his marriage. He paid his dues, the evidence is clear. Yet it also seems clear that his real problem was not alcohol at all. You'll see this paradox clearly as we bring you the classic true story of Richard Haddad, right now on Unshackled. Some people excuse their own failings on the grounds that they never had a chance. I can't do that. I grew up physically in one of the nicest homes in Toledo, in a fine family and with all the advantages. My grandparents on both sides came from the Middle East, from Lebanon. They were religious people active in the Syrian Orthodox Church where services were held in Arabic. I rarely attended. My father, thoroughly Americanized, was a prominent and successful businessman. It was heartbreaking for him and my mother both to see my downfall. 
One thing's for sure, I'm glad they weren't there to witness me holding a knife on my neighbor. By the time the police arrived, I had the knife hid and pulled myself together. We've had a call about a disturbance. What's the problem? I don't know, officer. There's a man in there who's been screaming. What's he screaming about? I can't say. Police! <laughs> Sir, have you been screaming? Well, you'd be screaming too. That, that boy's trying to kill me. What? With a great big butcher knife. What have you got to say about this? I don't know what he's talking about, officer. I was just... He's lying. He was going to kill me. Ask my wife. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. That's right, officer. He had a knife that long. Well? Well, what? This is ridiculous. Can you folks prove what you're saying? Why should we prove it? He had the knife. Seems to me you've been drinking, ma'am. This hallway smells like a saloon. There is no law against my wife and I having a drink in our own home. No, but there's a law against disturbing the peace. You and the missus better come down to the station with me. That's crazy. What a... What about this kid? He's the one that had the knife. He wasn't screaming, was he? He wasn't being threatened. I was. You're not being threatened now. Young man, do you live in this building? Right upstairs. Then go back up. And it smells to me like you've been drinking too. Just a little. Best take it easy, okay? Thank you, officer. I will. That occurred early in my drinking career when I was still in school at the university. It was my third school. I'd been asked to leave the first one because of bad grades. I'd learned to drink at the second one and liked what alcohol did for me. It lifted me out of a chronic depression and made me outgoing. At the third school, I met Mary. She was bubbly and extroverted and didn't need to drink to be that way, and I envied her. When we dated, I went out of my way to impress her. This is a beautiful car. It's okay. One of these days, I'll have one I like better. One of these days? When I'm 25, I'll come into a little bundle of money. What do you call a little bundle? It'll be about a quarter of a million. Oh, there isn't that much money in the whole town. Well, there better be. I've got plans for it. You might as well know. I'm just a poor girl. With a rich personality. Oh, you can't take that to the bank. It draws a lot of interest. I mean it, Dick. In our house, we didn't even have a telephone. And my family are great church people. They live very quietly. Don't swear, don't drink. Then, when I meet them, I better not smell like booze. You'll never meet them. I might. After all, I'm beginning to think I might like to marry their daughter. I'd better explain a little. In my home, the church had been the center of our lives. I went to church camp every summer sang in the young people's choir, and each year at camp, I went to the altar. People said I was a wonderful Christian because I was so busy. I believed them. I also believed that Jesus was a real person who had lived in Galilee and was crucified in Jerusalem. I never questioned the statement that he was the Son of God. But I knew these things the way I knew that George Washington was the first president of the United States. I believed in my head, but not in my heart. By the time I finished high school, I had made a decision. I would try to get the glamorous, luxurious things the world had to offer. Then when I was old, I would get right with God. 
With that decision in mind, I resisted my mother's idea about a church college and went to the state university. And there was Dick, tall, dark, handsome, and rich. That was Mary's side of it. I had a lot of emotional problems and tried to escape from them by drinking. Maybe marriage would solve my problems. It didn't, of course. All it did was bring new ones to add to the old. In 1961, I graduated from the university and went to law school. Halfway through, I knew I couldn't go through with my plans to be a lawyer. Why'd you tell the dean you're dropping out? It wouldn't work. I'd fail. How can you say that? You can go right into your father's law firm as soon as you pass the bar exams. That's just it. I'd have to go in with Dad. A ready-made career. Sure. But he's maybe the best lawyer in the state. How would I stack up against that? You wouldn't be competitors. You'd be partners. Next to him, I'd look like a joke. Don't you have any confidence in yourself? Not much. How long have you had these crazy ideas? For years. Since I was 16. I felt like it would be too much to live up to. I can't do it. It doesn't make sense. All these years of school just down the drain? No, they're not wasted. I'll still get a job. I just won't be a lawyer. I found a job with a large insurance agency. When the manager hired me, he asked me a rather peculiar question. Dick, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? What do you mean? Are you a Christian? Well, sure. I was born in this country. Mm. Well, that really has nothing to do with it. What I'm talking about is trusting in Christ as your personal savior. Oh, uh, my grandfather was big on church. That isn't what I mean. Uh, we don't inherit salvation. Even a church can't give it to us. A church can give us the gospel, the good news that Christ died for our sins, but the decision to trust in him is personal. When we receive him, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell in us and works to change us. The old sin-shackled person becomes a new person in Christ. I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't understand these things. Well, some of the others who work with us do. They may be able to make it clearer than I can. It all made me a little nervous. Maybe I was working for some kind of fanatic. At the same time, the boss was intelligent, had a good personality, and was very successful. Even so, I avoided him as much as possible. But when I had lunch with some of the other men, the same problem came up. This is one place where you can tell what day it is by looking at the menu. Well, I like bean soup, always on Thursdays. Pass the crackers. Sure. Oh, just a moment, Dick. We like to pray before we have our meals. Oh, yeah, sure. Dear God, our Father, we give you thanks for this food. We thank you for sending Dick to work with us, and we ask that you will open his heart to recognize his need for a savior. In whose name we pray, amen. Thanks, thanks a lot. The thought that some of those people were actually praying for me made me furious. Then there were other things. 
I would come back to my desk and find someone had left a tract on it, a little folder. I gathered quite a collection of them, things with titles like, What Shall I Do to Be Saved? What kind of persecution was this, anyway? Two or three weeks went by, and then came the blow. Now, the difference between these two types of policy seems small, but it's important to make clear to the insured what that difference is. They can save a few... What, what's the matter, Dick? I don't know. I've never felt like this before. Hey, are you okay? Are you in pain? It's not really pain. I, I'm terribly dizzy. It feels like my head's filling up with air. Let's go to the bathroom. You can splash some cool water on your face. Thanks. You know, I can hardly walk. Better sit back down. We need to get you to a doctor. It's happened several times now, doctor. I mean... Just within the last few days. Have you had anything like this in the past, before this present series? Never. Well, I'll run some tests, but make sure you're getting plenty of rest. The tests failed to show any cause for my symptoms. Instead of feeling better, though, I felt worse. I began having near blackouts, so they checked my eyes. There was tightness in the back of my neck, and I was too tense to sit still for more than a minute or two. One thing seemed to relax me, and that was whiskey. I had terrible feelings of anxiety, apprehension, the feeling that something terrible was going to happen. Then came the cardiac symptoms, and I was rushed to the hospital. Dick, the EKG shows that your heart is functioning normally. Doesn't feel like it. I mean... I've got these pains and tightness in my chest and down my arm and hand. My legs are numb, it's hard to breathe, and look at how I'm perspiring. Well, there's no evidence of a heart attack. Then why do I feel so terrible? In my opinion, you just think you're having these pains. There's nervous tension, yes, but the pains you feel are psychosomatic in origin. Psycho what? Somatic. Dick, I believe these are panic attacks. We'll continue with Dick's story in just a moment. Day in and day out, Pacific Garden Mission is ministering to both the physical and spiritual needs of the homeless man on the streets of Chicago. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, contact us at Pacific Garden Mission, 1458 South Canal Street, Chicago, Illinois, 60607. Or give us a call at 312 492 9410. Regardless of what the doctor said about my heart being fine, I couldn't stop thinking that it wasn't and that I was going to die. Nights were even worse than the days. Instead of sleeping, I sat up for fear that I'd fall asleep and never awaken. Sometimes I grew so desperate that I woke Mary. What is it, Dick? Mary. Call the doctor. Oh, it's three in the morning. People die at all times. Just get him on the phone. He won't appreciate it. His job is saving lives. Call him. Fine. Okay, Dick. Just breathe. It's ringing. Doctor, this is Mrs. Haddad. Yes. Uh, well, I'm sorry. Um... But Dick absolutely insists that I call you. Dick absolutely insists that I call you. Yes, I'll tell him, Doctor. Thank you. Well? Dick, 
The doctor says if there aren't any new symptoms, then go back to bed. What? Doesn't he care if I die? Of course, I tried another doctor to get a second opinion. If anything, he was more plain spoken than the first. Richard, you cannot die every day of a heart attack. You will either live or die. You cannot have it both ways. I quit drinking mixed drinks and started chugging straight from bottles. I'd pass out drunk around three in the morning. I began reading the obituary columns in the newspapers, looking for two items of information. How old was he and what did he die of? I left the agency and opened a small one close to home. It did well at first, but my constant drinking and fear of death destroyed it. In November of 1965, when my whiskey intake had risen to a gallon a day, I was hospitalized. Acute alcoholism. I'm going to level with you, Dick. You came in here with a blood pressure reading of 250. You don't know how sick I am. I certainly do. That's why you're in intensive care. I'm partly paralyzed. I know that too. Dick, you're lucky to be alive. If you're released from here, you must seek psychiatric help. You are a mass of fears, Dick. I know. Alcohol doesn't help. That alone can rob a man of all the courage he has. It piles fear on fear. Well, <laughs> what can I do? First, you need to exert yourself physically. Find a job that'll leave you physically tired at the end of the day. Second, get on the AA program. It is a way that countless numbers of people have found sobriety. I took a job unloading freight cars and went on the program. For a while, I stayed dry, but the fears didn't leave me. I began to fear daylight and fear itself. I had nothing to do with my wife and children, and they lived a life of their own. When I began to drink again, I was placed in a psychiatric ward and given shock therapy, physical therapy, and occupational therapy. Released, I tried drugs, mind readers, fortune tellers, and a hypnotist. Nothing helped, and I was hospitalized twice more. In August of 1966, I was like jelly a vegetable, and about to be hospitalized again. That's when Mary left for the last time. Dick, before I go, I want you to read this article. Why? It's about a man who was like you emotionally. He didn't drink, but he had terrible fears. Yeah? Now it says he feels fine, has his own business, and is doing well. No more fears. I read the article, but it made me irate. This Ted Curtis character claimed Jesus Christ made him a new man. I was so incensed that I tracked him down by calling the operator and getting his home number. Dick, please don't do this. You'll regret it. I'm telling you. Hush. Leave me alone, Mary. I've listened to you. Hello? Ted Curtis? Ha <laughs> ha. Listen to me, you religious skate. I've read your story, and I don't believe a word of it. Anybody who thinks you can say a little prayer and God's going to make everything all right is some kind of nut or a liar. Do I know what it is to be scared? Sure I do. You too? Scared of dying? And I thought I was the only one in the world. 
No, no, don't pray for me. Some of the guys started doing that a few weeks later. I had my first attack. Okay, when I want to talk to someone who's always willing to listen, I'll call you again. Thanks, Ted. I still think your ideas are crazy. Huh. Nice guy. But he's all wrong. I called Ted several times. I was always drunk, of course. What else? I was always belligerent when I called, and he was always patient. Meanwhile, my parents had taken me into their home and were supporting Mary and the kids. One day, the doctor called to talk to my father, and I listened in on an extension phone. Well, there's nothing to be gained by continuing with the present arrangements. He needs to be committed to the sanitarium in Worthington on a permanent basis, possibly over a period of years with, well, continuous therapy, we might make some progress. I say possibly, but I'm not very optimistic. I hung up the phone softly and lay back on the bed to take stock of the situation and myself. It seemed there was nothing left but to die. Then I thought, you've never really given Jesus Christ a chance. And with that thought, and remembering all the talks I'd had with Ted and the men at the insurance agency, I got out of bed and dropped to my knees. God, I don't even know if I believe in you. I don't understand how you could let a person become like this. I'm not a human being. I'm just like jelly. I can't live and I can't die. Now, I've heard that Jesus Christ can give new life. This one is over for me. I need a new one. If you want me, take me. All I can do now is trust in you, Jesus. I slept soundly. And when I awoke in the morning, I was strangely at peace. My hands were shaking, my fear of daylight was gone, and I even went and watched out a window. That day, instead of going to the sanitarium, I went downstairs and looked for a job. I called Ted Curtis, and his wife told me he was at a convention of Christian businessmen in Detroit. I borrowed a car and some money and set out to drive there. They were just closing their session with prayer when I arrived. I asked someone how to find Ted, and he was pointed out to me. Ted? Ted Curtis? Yes, sir. What, what can I do for you? You already have. You've done everything. I'm Dick Haddad. Dick, wonderful to see you. First, before we say anything, I want you to know that I've put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God! Second, everything you said is true. You hear that, fellas? I want you all to meet Dick Haddad. He's our new brother in Christ. That was the beginning of a new life for me, my wife, and for our children. I've learned to know that the Bible is altogether trustworthy. There are two verses that speak to me specifically. First, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 
Second, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Dick and I had not really loved each other at all. But when his new life was so visible that I couldn't deny it, and when he was patient and understanding, showing concern about me instead of himself, I knew he had something that I, for all my church activity, knew nothing about. Then I also put my trust in Christ. And after that, God put into our re-established marriage the love that had never been there before. Dick became very active in the Lord's work. He became a pastor, a Bible teacher, and a counselor. The emotional child became a mature man in Christ. He never took a drink since the night he entrusted himself to the Lord. Listening friend, what the Lord has done for Richard Haddad, he can do for anyone who comes to him by faith and trusts in Christ as Savior. If you so desire this ultimate gift of salvation, please call 1-888-NEED-HIM or you can get in touch with us here at Pacific Garden Mission, 1458 South Canal Street, Chicago, Illinois, 60607. Now, we love hearing from our listeners here on the Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast, so send us your questions and we'll answer them here. It can be something you're curious about or just something you want to share with us. All you have to do is write us at podcast at unshackled.org or call and leave us a message at 312-281-1264. We'd love to hear from you. Now, before we get to our sweepstakes drawing info, I just want to remind you to subscribe or like our Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast. You can even share it or tell a friend. We'd also love for you to review or rate our podcast and Don't forget to check out our other podcasts on this same platform, Unshackled Daily Devotionals and Unshackled in Person. We appreciate your input and involvement in our ministry. And again, please consider supporting us so we can freely offer quality Christian programming to the world. All right, the new prize for this sweepstakes contest is yet another beautiful wooden scripture plaque. The verse on this one is 2 Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. This plaque is gorgeous. Its contrasting chestnut brown outer ring and the light brown inner ring of the bark truly shows the diversity of God's creation. If you'd like a peek at this scripture plaque, you're welcome to visit our podcast website, unshackledpodcast.org and stop by the audio drama page for a picture. The deadline to enter is September 2nd. And next time... None is more important than the covenant relationship of marriage. As an attorney, Matt Henderson knew the importance of the vows, but not the reason behind them. Not until he violated his own marriage contract. You're so quiet this morning, Matt. What's wrong? There's something I need to tell you, Kay. I'm listening. My secretary is pregnant, and I'm the father. The man in our story was risking his marriage with that confession. (laughs) I thought you loved me. I do love you, Kay. How could you do this to us? This is the story of how he came to that point. 
and how it changed his life. A lot of men fool around. I guess I couldn't resist the temptation. I'm really sorry, Kay. What are we gonna do? Don't miss the true testimony of Matt Henderson. Another true dramatization coming soon on Unshackled. Heard in the classic true story of Richard Haddad were Jeff Parker, Allison Voller, Tom McElroy, Jim Poole, and Rick Dianofsky. Original music, Don Badorf. Sound effects, Jim Poole. Sound assistant, Holly Krajewski. Recording and audio engineer, David Pierczynski. Script, Jack O'Dell and Kylie Hammond. That's it for this week's Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast. So until next time, unless our Lord returns before then, I'm Timothy Gregory, your brother in Christ. <laughs>